passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, uh, but before we do that, I want to just take a brief moment to look at the context of this book as a whole to help us to understand uh, the, the reason why Paul is writing this letter. And indeed, I think that this may be a bit of a history lesson, but I think it's important because it'll pay great dividends for our study of this book over the coming months. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about Colossae itself. Well, on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he spent about three years in the city of Ephesus. If you remember Ephesus, Ephesus was located on the coast of modern-day Turkey, and it was, the, it was a very important city. It was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was considered to be a regional hub for the Roman Empire. In fact, it was centered in a location that it kind of served as the gateway between the Western Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire. Acts 19 tells us a bit of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. It says this in verses 8 through 10. And he, being Paul, entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Notice that last phrase there. During these two years, all the people of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Paul knew that he couldn't bring the gospel to every city in Asia Minor Minor by himself. And so he decided to start a church in Ephesus, a place where he knew that he could attract and find new church planters who would bring the gospel to other communities. That's why verse 10 tells us that everyone in Asia Minor has heard the gospel or heard the, the good news of the Lord. Paul sends out dozens of missionaries to plant churches. One of those planted a church in Colossae. Why don't we go ahead and throw that first image up here. This is a map of Asia Minor, well, actually of the entire Mediterranean uh, Sea. If you see, this is uh, the orange is where the, um, roughly where the Roman Empire was located. And this green box is where we're going to zoom in next to see where Ephesus is as, where as, as well as where Colossae is. So here's Ephesus. It's located on the coast of Asia Minor, uh, and uh, a, a bit inland is Colossae. Now, what's interesting about this, uh, this photo or this, this map is that I actually had to, uh, to add the, the town Colossae onto this uh, map. Colossae was at one point a very important city in the Roman Empire, but by the time that Paul was writing to this church, it had begun to dwindle in importance. In fact, many of us are familiar with another city that was located just 10 miles away, uh, Laodicea, which is located just, uh, just really close to that circle right there. Laodicea was an important city, and Colossae, while it once was important, was beginning to dwindle in significance. Paul sent out a man named Epaphras to plant the church in Colossae. We learn from the book of Colossians that Epaphras was most likely from Colossae. During the two years of Paul's ministry in the hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus, 
It's likely that uh, Epaphras, while visiting on business, came, heard the gospel, became a Christian, was raised up by Paul, and then sent back to Colossae to share the gospel there. Now, fast forward five to seven years after the start of this church. Paul has been imprisoned in Rome. And while he is there, Paul continues to pray for all the churches that he has planted and all of the churches that his disciples have planted. People like Epaphras, who planted the church in Colossae. One day, while Paul is in prison in Rome, Epaphras shows up in Rome. It's about a 1,300-mile journey from Colossae. And he asks Paul to address some issues that are taking place in the church that he pastors. This is kind of surprising because Colossae was so far away and Epaphras thought that the need was so great that he journeyed by foot and by boat for 1,300 miles to get an answer from Paul. What was so great of a need? Well, it appears as we look at the book that as the church continued to grow, make converts out of paganism, out of Judaism, there was an increasing cultural pressure from the city of Colossae to make some of the more offensive parts of the gospel more palpable to the culture. So on the one hand, there were those who had been converted out of a Greco-Roman pagan background. They grew up thinking that, the, that matter and the physical realm uh, were, were evil. And so, because they were evil, the idea that Jesus was God in the flesh was completely unthinkable. At best, Jesus was just a lesser God. He wasn't the supreme, high, most powerful God. This culture began to say, well, Jesus, yeah, he can be God, but he's just the starting point to true spirituality. The church itself it hadn't been taken captive by this teaching, but it felt the, the pressure to minimize who Jesus was, to, to lower Jesus so that way it could fit into the rest of the culture. On the other hand, you have those who had converted out of a Jewish culture. They grew up in a background that said religious restrictions and regulations were the key to truly knowing God. And so there was a pressure on the other side to enforce these regulations, enforce these rules in order to actually know God. Now, again, the church hadn't actually been taken captive by this teaching, but there was cultural pressure to minimize what Jesus had done in order to fit in with the rest of culture. Do you see the balance that the church in Colossae had to walk on the one hand, there were people who were scoffing at the idea that Jesus was the supreme king of the universe, and the church was attempted to minimize Jesus' identity in order to reach out to others. On the other hand, there were those who denied or ridiculed the idea that, the, that Jesus had paid it all, that Jesus had done everything, and rules and regulations were unnecessary. And so the church was tempted to minimize the work of Jesus on the cross. In this context, Paul writes the book of Colossians. What's interesting is that Paul doesn't take time to address these issues head on, but instead he does something remarkable. He just simply magnifies Jesus. 
in the face of those who are lessening Jesus' identity, he says that he is the uncreated God, that the fullness of God dwells bodily in Christ Jesus. In the face of those who, who minimize Jesus' work on the cross, he says that fullness of redemption is found in Christ Jesus. Paul focuses his attention on Jesus and says that instead of Jesus as the starting point, Jesus is enough. Instead of Jesus plus a life of self-denial, Jesus is enough. And that's what the book of Colossians is all about. That's why we're calling this past, or this sermon series all about Jesus, because it is all about Jesus. Well, there's much more that we could say this morning. Let's go ahead and just jump into our text. Uh, please follow along, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, great, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, this is a standard introduction from Paul. I just want to draw one thing to your attention before we continue. Notice how Paul refers to the church in Colossae. He calls them saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. Here, Paul is reminding the church of their primary identity. The most important thing about them is not that they are Colossians, but that they are saints. They are holy ones. And they are those who are in Christ. This description, in Christ, is such a powerful one. It reminds the church that the key to their spiritual growth, the, the key to their spiritual knowledge is found nowhere but in Christ. For me, it reminds me of the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which was written about the same time as this letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, at the beginning of, of Ephesians, Paul writes this powerful hymn where he describes the greatness of what Christ has done for us, the, the blessings that are available for those of us who are in Christ. Consider this from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, we could 
unpack that for hours. But notice the significance of being united in Christ, of being found in Christ. And this is what Paul has in mind when he tells the the church in Colossae that they are found in Christ, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are chosen by God in Christ. We are redeemed and forgiven in Christ. We find the will of God in Christ. All things are made new as a part of God's plan in Christ. Christ, and we are guaranteed our salvation by the Holy Spirit in Christ. Remember, Paul writes the book of Colossians to exalt Jesus above all, to make our picture of Jesus bigger than today. And so even here at the very beginning of this letter, as he's even addressing the church, he reminds them that they are found in Christ. In the Roman catacombs, archaeologists have found a number of tombs that have no names. A number of nameless men and women unknown to us. The only distinction uh, that we can find of these men and women is simply that on their tombs is written two words, in Christ. If you are a Christian, far more important than your name, far more important than your vocation, far more important than your background is your identity as one who is in Christ. And so here at the very beginning of this letter, Paul exalts that glorious truth about us reminds us of where our identity is found. Now, as we continue uh, after this introduction, Paul transitions to thanksgiving. Pick up in verse 3 if you have your Bible. It says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let's just pause right there halfway through verse 5. Paul opens his thanksgiving with a specific focus. And his specific focus is on the word that he has received from Epaphras. Epaphras has brought news about the church in Colossae. Now, Paul has never met the men and women of this church, but his heart is stirred to thanksgiving when he hears about the fruit that they are bearing. Notice the three attributes that Paul mentions here. He mentions faith, he mentions love, and he mentions hope. We are likely familiar with the three of these tied together when we think of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. These three, faith, hope, and love, are oftentimes found together in Paul's writings. And whenever Paul uses these three, which is quite frequent, whenever Paul mentions faith, hope, and love, he's oftentimes using it to describe what he considers to be authentic Christianity. So let's take a look at the authentic Christianity of the church in Colossae. What is it that Paul thanks God for? Well, first, he he thanks God for their faith. He is thankful for their growing faith in Christ Jesus. Now, today, we hear quite a bit about faith, don't we? Both within and without of the church Faith is a commonly used word, oftentimes a a buzzword when it comes to spirituality. In 2015, Oprah Winfrey released a seven-episode miniseries called Belief. 
looking at all the ways that faith is expressed today. The main claim of these seven episodes was that all of us have faith. And that's a good thing. In fact, there are many ways, even millions of ways to God. We just have to have faith. Is that what Paul has in mind here when he speaks of faith? No. For Paul... Faith is never the important thing. What matters to Paul is the object of one's faith or what you have faith in. Where is that faith placed? And for Paul, the answer is clearly given in verse 3. He thanks God for the, the faith of the Colossians, and that faith is found in Christ Jesus. Salvation does not come simply by having faith in faith. It does not even come by having faith in, in a, or believing in a certain list of beliefs and doctrines. Salvation comes in faith or belief in Christ. Now, we use this word a lot, but what exactly do we mean when we say faith or belief in Jesus? John Patton was a missionary in the South Pacific. He translated the Bible into many different languages for the people that he worked among. And while he was attempting to translate the Bible uh, among one of these people groups into their native language, he got hung up on the word believe, on the word faith. He just couldn't fully put into their language the significance of what we mean when we say have faith in Christ or believe in Christ. So what does the Bible mean when, we say, when it says that we are to believe in Jesus? Patton wrestled with this for, for a great deal of time until he finally found an acceptable translation. He translated belief as lean your whole weight upon. And indeed, that's what we mean when we talk about faith in Christ. It doesn't mean to intellectually acknowledge that Jesus is real. It doesn't even mean to uh, acknowledge that Jesus exists. Instead, it means to throw your entire weight upon him. All of your hopes, all of your trusts, all of your fears, all of your anxieties, all of your burdens, to throw them upon Jesus. And that's what the church in Colossae did. And Paul thanks God for that. Next, Paul mentions the love of the Colossian Christians that they have for other Christians. For Paul, this love shows that their faith is authentic, that it's genuine. Remember the makeup of the Colossian church. Colossae was a, a melting pot of both Jews and Greeks. There were some from pagan backgrounds, and there were some who were converted out of Jewish backgrounds. These two people groups, uh, at best, distrusted one another, and at worst, openly despised one another. And yet, in this context, Paul rejoices that these men and women and children are loving one another sacrificially. Do you want to know how much growth you have experienced in the Christian life? You want to examine yourself and, and catch a, a barometer of, of where you stand in your maturity as a Christian? Examine your heart and your heart's posture toward those who are not like you. 
It is so easy to treat those who are just like us well. But how we treat and interact with people who are not like us socially, not like us economically, not like us culturally, not like us ethnically, doesn't, or does, in fact, reveal much about who we are and how much Christ has transformed our lives. Paul rejoices in the midst of this melting pot of cultures that the church loves one another, even in the midst of all of their differences, loves one another sacrificially. And I praise God that much of the same can be said about us. Paul concludes with this mention of hope. He says he thanks God for the faith that they have in Christ, the the love that they have for one another because of the hope that they have awaiting them in heaven. Paul ends with this because I think that's the source of the love and the source of the faith in this life that the Colossians have. They have their eyes fixed upon Jesus and the promise of the gospel that awaits them. Titus 2 describes this beautiful, blessed hope in greater detail. Colossians, or excuse me, Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, un- all lawlessness and to purify for him a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Our hope awaits us in heaven. As Paul says in Titus, that we await our blessed hope, the reappearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope awaits us in heaven, Christ himself. Here in this life, we live in the tension of God's promises having been given to us and yet not fully being here. And so, along with the church in Colossae, we long for God to come to make all things new and right. And it is in this hope that we find the fuel for our faith and love as well as all spiritual growth. You see, Paul celebrated the hope of this church that was on display in their lives. This hope was revealed in the way that they expressed their trust in Jesus. It was expressed in the way that they loved one another. If you want to know the key to growing in your faith, the key to deepening your faith, the key to loving others sacrificially, the key is to place your hope in Christ. A hope that anchors us in this life that endures in the midst of every storm. Whenever things don't go our way, it reminds us of our calling as Christians and the great promises that God has for us. So Paul thanks God for the growing faith of the church in Colossae, and then he transitions at the end of verse 5 to widen his gaze, not just on the church in Colossae, but indeed to focus on how God is at work throughout the entire world, how the Colossian church is united with Christians all over the world who are hearing the gospel as well and are bearing fruit as well. Let's pick up in verse 
uh, the second half of verse 5. Of this you have heard before in, the wor- uh, before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The work that God is doing in Colossae is the exact same thing that God is doing throughout the world in response to the gospel. For this church that wasn't started by Paul, a church that was off the beaten path, a church in a city that was beginning to feel isolated. Imagine how encouraging these words were. The same God who was at work in Ephesus and in Rome and Antioch and Jerusalem is the exact same God who is doing the exact same thing with you. Now just pause and think about this in today's context as well. It can be easy for us here in the United States to be discouraged about the state of Christianity in the United States, especially when we look at how the church is growing in Africa and Asia and Central America as busting at seams with people responding with faith to the gospel. It can be discouraging when we see slow, consistent spiritual growth here at home. It can be easy to be discouraged when we are intimately aware of our own shortcomings, our own sins, our own failures, our own struggles in comparison to what seems to be radical Christianity in other contexts. Paul's words here remind us that the same gospel that saves people on the other side of the globe is the same gospel that saves people here. The same gospel that transforms lives on the other side of the globe is the same gospel that transforms lives here. The same gospel that on the other side of the world produces fruit in the lives of believers is the same gospel that produces fruit in the lives of believers here. And as I read this passage, as I read these verses, I can't help but just think of two promises Jesus made to his disciples in the midst of parables. Jesus was describing in Mark 4 the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God would advance. And he gives us some promises of this is how God is going to work. Consider just these two. Mark 4, 1 through 20, the parable of the sower. Here, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God and how it will grow. And how does he say that it will grow? He says that it will grow through the indiscriminate spread of the gospel. When we share the gospel indiscriminately, just like the man who is scattering seed and he doesn't care where it lands, he just throws it. We know that some will reject it. In fact, that parable seems to indicate that most will reject it. And yet, we also can be confident from that parable, that there will be some who respond favorably. There will be some who respond with faith. And Jesus tells us in that parable that they will bear fruit beyond compare. 
here in Colossians 1, we see that Jesus' promise is coming to fruition. We see that those who are far from God are coming to faith in God, coming to know God. We see them bearing fruit. This is taking place in Colossae, and it's taking place all over the world because those who have heard the gospel are bearing fruit. The second promise is also found in Mark chapter 4 about the kingdom of God. Mark 4, 30 through 32, the parable of the mustard seed. You see, in this parable, Jesus, again, he's describing the kingdom of God and how it grows. And here in this parable, he tells us that the kingdom of God may seem small and may seem insignificant. And yes, it may seem a little backwater. After all, there's nothing really all that majestic about a mustard seed or a mustard plant. But we can be sure of this. We can be sure that while it may start small, while it may start insignificant, it will one day grow to fill the whole earth. You see here in Colossians chapter 1, we see again Jesus' promise coming to fruition. We see the kingdom of God spreading rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. We see this small, insignificant movement taking root to the ends of the earth. And the same is true today, isn't it? This same gospel that God is using to transform lives here in Spencer and Ruthven and Everly, Royal, Milford, Hartley, Ayrshire, Emmitsburg, and beyond is the same gospel that God is using to advance his kingdom throughout the world, to use his word of truth, the gospel. And people are coming to know him, bearing faith, even as they are here. Bearing fruit, growing in faith and love, fueled by a hope in the coming Christ. Remember how we began this morning. An unshakable hope in Christ fuels faith in Christ and a love for Christ's people. Over the coming weeks, as we look at this book, we're going to look at passage after passage that exalts Jesus that, that grows our understanding of Jesus as we look to him for spiritual growth and spiritual depth. But this morning, I think it's just appropriate for us to pause and to celebrate. To celebrate the spread of the gospel all over the world. To celebrate the lost becoming found. To celebrate the weak being made strong. To celebrate the love that is being shown between those who could not love one another except for the grace of God. Let's celebrate and be thankful for the work of God in our midst. In fact, that's, that's what I encourage us to do right now for a few moments. I want everyone uh, who is able to, to stand up. I want you to turn to a neighbor or two or five, or if you uh, want to just attach yourself to, to a group of those because um, you're new here and you don't really feel like sharing, uh, this is kind of odd or awkward for you, that's completely fine. Turn to your neighbor and share with them how you have seen God at work recently. How have you seen the gospel spreading? How have you seen fruit being born by Christians? How have you seen the gospel changing and transforming lives. Take a few moments and share with one another.
we have much to be thankful for. In fact, some of you, I'm sure, are annoyed with me for talking right now. (laughs) We have much to be thankful for. We see the gospel spread. We see people being uh, transformed, lives being changed. We see fruit being born, not only here in our communities, but to the ends of the earth. And so uh, as we close, let's join our voices together once more, celebrating and giving thanks to our risen King. Please pray with me. God, we do rejoice. We rejoice in your goodness, your faithfulness, and how you are transforming lives. God, I pray that you would help us to lean upon you, to trust in you for that transformation, for that change. And God, that we would not be discouraged, but God, that we would be quick to look for how you are at work in our lives and in the lives of others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.